in commentary of this verse, Hazrat Muslim one who explains that before Allah Ta'ala gives a commandment, the way of the Holy Quran is that He introduces it so that people are ready to accept it and so that they are not put to trial. Hazur explained that in this verse, Allah Ta'ala describes that before the command was even revealed, Allah Ta'ala said that the foolish people in the future are going to be objecting against the Muslims being turned away from their qibla. And so the emphasis that Allah Ta'ala places in this verse which is implied here is His care for the fact that the teachings be revealed along with their wisdom and that people fully understand what the purpose is that is being, that is being revealed to them. One of the points that we also learn from this verse is how great of a change it was for the Qibla to be changed for the Muslims. Now, qibla is something that has a symbolism to it. And when it changes... It is something that is a great sacrifice for people to do. Hazur explained that in Arabia, the Arabs of especially the area of Mecca, they hold the Kaaba, they held the Kaaba to be in great reverence. It was a house that was established by Hazrat Ibrahim It had had this reverence for a long period of time. So for them to be told in Mecca that now they are to face towards Jerusalem, Baytul Maqdas instead, it was a huge sacrifice. It was a cultural shock to them. So the changing of a Qibla is a changing of a symbolism which is changing a custom and a habit that exists among people. And for that to happen requires sacrifice on the part of people. So Allah Ta'ala describes that the ignorant among people will be objecting to it when it eventually happens. Then further elaborating on this point in verse number 144, Allah Ta'ala says, and thus have we made you an exalted nation that you may be guardians over men and the messenger of God may be a guardian over you and we did not appoint the Qibla which you did follow, except that we might know him who follows the messenger of God from him who turns upon his heels. And this is indeed hard except for those whom Allah has guided. And it does not behove Allah to let your faith go in vain. Surely Allah is compassionate and merciful to the people. Now there are several points in this verse relating in general to the Ummah and also particularly to the Qibla. As far as the general ummah is concerned, Hazrat Muslim who describes that here we have been assigned as guardians for people. And the Holy Prophet has been assigned our guardian. And Azur explained that for a nation to be kept healthy on a national level, it requires constant supervision. In the same way that we care for our body, also a people need to be cared for. Azur explained that countless times throughout the day, we think about what it is our body needs whether it is exercise, or whether it is food, or whatever it is. We think to ourselves at what it is that our body needs. 
So when it takes this much maintenance and a constant level of maintenance, then when a person neglects an entire nation and their tarbiyat, then we can imagine how quickly that downfall would happen. So the responsibility that has been given to Muslims in this verse to be guardians over people is a huge responsibility. And if it is not kept up, then humanity begins to fall. Huzur explains that this is why downfall came among the Muslims as well. That people considered the work of the tarbiyat of people to be something that was insignificant or something that could have been neglected. If that had not happened, then the state of the Muslim ummah would not be where it is. Huzur also explained that this is not the job that only belongs to a prophet or to a khalifa. Because the Qur'an has said that it is our collective responsibility to look after the tarbiyat of people, to look after the tarbiyat of our own nation, our own people, and of all other people. So this plays a great burden on us as Muslims, and particularly as Ahmadi Muslims. Also, this can remind us and within our small community, or locally, what our responsibilities are. When we see someone who is doing something wrong, many times we shy away from pointing it out to them because we are afraid of offending them. It's true that we should abstain from criticizing people for fear of being critical. We shouldn't be critical, we shouldn't nitpick, we shouldn't look for people's faults. It's good to be apprehensive about criticism from that perspective. But there are other things that we can point out, that we do observe, that we do see, which we should be more mindful in reminding others of. Whether it comes to small things like etiquettes of the mosque, when we come here to the mosque and we see children or we see others doing something that is wrong, we shouldn't consider it to be you know, offensive to point it out to someone. We shouldn't think that it's only the job of the office holders to point out that shortcoming or mistake. But we ourselves can lovingly point it out. This is a responsibility that is more easily done by our elders, but it is a great blessing. It's not something that anyone should ever be offended by. So being guardians and looking after the tarbiyat of the jamaat and of people in general is something that has to constantly be done. The moment we begin to neglect it, we start to fall. Huzur also explained in commentary of this verse that we being guardians and the Holy Prophet ﷺ being a guardian over us describes our responsibility as an ummah under the Holy Prophet ﷺ. And also it describes to us the status of this ummah. Huzur explained that every prophet receives an ummah which is in accordance with his capacities and in, in accordance with his qualities. The Holy Prophet ﷺ was the greatest of prophets and so he re received the greatest of all the nations in the world that followed him. It's true that Muslims afterwards, because of their shortcomings, gave, showed many faults in their individual weaknesses. But those were more human and cultural weaknesses that crept in afterwards. As far as the tarbiyat of the Holy Prophet ﷺ was concerned, his sahaba created a revolution in the world. And everywhere where they went, they were successful in every sense of the word. Then those who came after them, who received that message, were also shared in that light. And they also carried a similar type of success, although not in the same degree, wherever they went. So whatever ummah it is, that nation has the capacities in accordance with the Prophet that was sent to them. So this also is a point of reminder for us. When we are made guardians over people, it is a responsibility that is an extension of the responsibility that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had. And so we as a people are given proportional capacities. Of course we don't have the same spiritual capacities as the Holy Prophet ﷺ. In the same way that the Ummah of Hazrat Musa ﷺ did not have the same capacities as Hazrat Musa ﷺ. But our qualities as an Ummah that Allah Ta'ala has bestowed upon us through the teachings of Islam are definitely greater. Huzur explained this in an example where at the Battle of Badr, one of the Sahaba stood up and he said 
describing a similar situation that Hazrat Musa was in. He said that we will not say what the followers of Hazrat Musa said to him, that you and your God go and fight and we will sit here. Rather, we will fight with you and the enemy will have to pass over our dead bodies in order to get to you. Hazur explained that this was not the statement of one Sahabi. He was saying this in representation of the entire Ummah. This was the sentiment of all the Sahaba at that time. And this is a stark difference between the nation of the Holy Prophet and the nation of Hazrat Musa. So this is a quality of this Ummah, which is shown in, this, in one angle in this particular example. And so this also comes back to that subject that we discussed a couple of days ago when it comes to recognizing and having self-respect for ourselves. Understanding the status that Allah Ta'ala has given us. Humility is on one side. We should consider ourselves nothing. But also we should understand that Allah Ta'ala has created us to reach the heights of spirituality and to be guardians of mankind and to create a spiritual reformation in the world. And that should affect our prayers. It should affect our relationship with Allah Ta'ala. It should affect the ambition with which we approach our spiritual journey. So when we approach our prayers and when we approach Allah Ta'ala, it should be with this understanding that Allah Ta'ala has not made us for small tasks and goals. If we are asking for anything less than the very best and the very heights of spirituality, then we are not doing justice for the very purpose for which Allah Ta'ala created us. Another point that's described in this verse is the fact that the changing of the Qibla would be a trial. Hazrat Muslim one who explains that when the Muslims were in Mecca, the Qibla that was given to them was the Qibla in Jerusalem. But then when the Muslims moved to Medina, there the Qibla was changed to Mecca, to the Kaaba. And in both cases it was a trial. In Mecca there was an overwhelming influence of the mushrikeen, the idolaters. And there the dignity and the value of the Kaaba was at its highest. There to think of changing Qibla was something that was unimaginable. But in Medina the situation was quite different. There were three Jewish tribes and two idolatrous tribes. And the two idolatrous tribes, as we see throughout the narrations of Hadith and history, they were strongly influenced by the three Jewish tribes. They considered those three Jewish tribes to be more well-learned than them in religion and in many other aspects. And so they had reverence in their hearts for Beitul Maqdas, the holy um, uh, city of Jerusalem and the temple and the Qibla that was in that direction. So when the Muslims moved and migrated to Medina, at that time to change the Qibla from Jerusalem back to Mecca was a trial again for people. It was a change in symbolism that was difficult for the weaker people to be able to comprehend. And so Allah Ta'ala describes that this changing of the Qibla was not anything except that we, might, that we might know him who follows the Messenger of God from him who turns upon his heels. And this indeed is hard, except for those whom Allah has guided. Huzur explains, as we've gone over several times before, that the purpose of a trial is not to misguide people, it is not to destroy people, but it is to bring out their qualities which they have, which are hidden within themselves. And those people who are destroyed by a trial, who are put to hardship and then end up falling away, it only reveals the lack of faith that they had the entire time. It reveals something that was hidden within them. Also, as a side note, one reason and wisdom there might, might be for why the Qibla was kept as Baytul Maqdas during the time in Mecca, even though the Kaaba was something that was reconstructed by Hazrat Ibrahim it was something that had great historical significance and foundations. It was more significant 
then the Qibla in Jerusalem, even before the, the Qibla was changed. But there may be many reasons why the Qibla in Jerusalem was chosen in the beginning of the Prophethood of the Holy Prophet One of those reasons may be that Allah Ta'ala wished to teach this Ummah and teach the people, especially the early companions of the Holy Prophet that Islam is a universal religion. It is far above any kind of family rivalry. The rivalry that was created by the Israelites, that Ishmaelite and Israelite rivalry, was a family rivalry, it was a tribal rivalry. And it is something that has been initiated and kept going by the Israelites. But it has nothing to do with Islam, because Islam is not a religion for the Ishmaelites. It is a religion for all mankind, and it is a religion for all people. So to take any part of Islam and to make it into a religious uh, a tribal rivalry is to confine it to a tribal religion. Judaism is a tribal religion. It is only for the Bani Israel. Islam is far greater than that. So it is against the dignity to even suggest that Muslims would reciprocate that rivalry that the Bani Israel have extended to the Banu Ismail. And so from the beginning, one wisdom may be that Allah Ta'ala established that the Muslims must remember that this rivalry is not to be kept going. Up until the time of the Holy Prophet wasallam, the Jewish Ummah and the Jewish religion was the most recent religion. And so for that reason, the Holy Prophet ﷺ followed the laws and made decisions according to Jewish scripture in many cases. So their Qibla was something that he also followed. Putting completely aside family rivalry that might have existed between the Ishmaelites and Israelites, he had respect and honor and he expected his followers to have honor for the scriptures that were given to the Jews and the Mosaic dispensation. And so this was a dignity and an honor for religion that was taught and that our purpose is Allah Ta'ala alone. In fact, that is something that is taught in these verses itself where Allah Ta'ala says that to Allah Almighty belongs the East and the West. This was in the previous verse that لِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِكُ وَالْمَغْرِبِ This was something that was mentioned earlier in a verse of Surah Al-Baqarah as well. And here Allah Ta'ala reminds us that the Qibla itself is not important. If somebody makes that into a point of controversy, then they're missing the entire point. It's the real purpose behind the Qibla that's necessary, that's, that's of real importance. So the East and the West, everything belongs to Allah Almighty. Whichever Qibla we face to, whether it is to Jerusalem or whether it is to Mecca, our purpose is to please Allah Almighty. So that's what is of real essence and importance. So when the Muslims were taught to change their Qibla, when the early Muslims adopted Jerusalem and then they changed it to Mecca afterwards, both times going against the inclinations of society, they were taught that the East and the West both belong to Allah Almighty. Whatever Qibla you adopt is not out of any other wisdom and not out of any other motivation except for the sake of Allah Almighty. Another point in this verse is that Allah Almighty describes a commandment that was given before. And this is a commandment that was not mentioned in the Holy Quran. And Hazrat Muslim one who explains that this clearly shows that there is no abrogation in the Holy Quran. Because when this verse is making mention of a commandment of Allah Ta'ala, then it shows that any commandment that was given, which was not meant to be permanent, it was never included in the Holy Quran. Allah Ta'ala says in this verse, And we did not appoint the Qibla which you did follow, except that we might know him who follows the truth. The Arabic of this word is that وَمَا جَأَلْنَا الْكِبْلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا This is referring to a Qibla that Allah Ta'ala had appointed beforehand, before this new commandment came. Now nowhere in the Holy Qur'an do we find any commandment to face towards Jerusalem. So it shows that there were commandments which came from Allah Ta'ala, which were binding upon the Muslims, and were outside of the Holy Qur'an. 
And they were not included in the Holy Qur'an because Allah Ta'ala knew that they were going to be abrogated later on. And so all temporary commandments which were revelation from Allah Ta'ala were never included in the Holy Qur'an, so there was never any need for abrogation. This also gives us an understanding of why certain Sahaba had misunderstandings as well. You know, by the vast majority of the Sahaba, there is a consensus that the Holy Qur'an is what it is because it was passed down in its memorized and perfect form from generation to generation from them. There was an almost absolute consensus. But we find isolated Sahaba who said that there was this chapter in the Holy Qur'an before, but then we don't find it in the Qur'an today, and so on and so forth. And when we look into those narrations, many times we see that they confused a hadith of the Holy Prophet and a hadith of Qudsi, revelations that were of temporary application, and they thought that those were part of the permanent Holy Qur'an. And they confused that with the doctrine of abrogation. For example, one Sahabi says that there was a verse of the Holy Qur'an that said that it was something along the lines of, um, you know, about the greed of human beings. That man wishes that if he had a mountain, he had a valley full of gold, he would wish for another, and nothing would fill the stomach of man except for dust. Now, this is actually a hadith, and it is a hadith that is narrated in Bukhari. But we see that it was something that this Sahabi confused with a verse of the Holy Quran because it's a very important and central hadith that carries a very basic message. So, other hadith and ahadith Qudsi, revelations that were outside the Holy Quran. They also were misunderstood by certain Sahaba and isolated in exceptional cases. And that's why we find narrations here and there where they differed on these individual points. But that doesn't mean that the consensus, the overall consensus of what the Holy Prophet taught to his Sahaba, which they repeated in prayers every day, which was revealed to him every year in Ramadan and taught repeatedly and clearly, that Holy Quran is something that there was absolute consensus on and that there was clarity on. There were only the smaller points of exceptional detail that always exist when you have oral tradition among thousands and thousands of people. Human error on an exceptional level can always exist. So that's the overall commentary of verse 143 and 144, a few of the points that were mentioned by Hazrat Muslim in commentary of this verse. So now if there's any questions that anyone may have, then you can feel free to ask. Okay, so the question is that, you know, throughout the Holy Quran, it mentions that, um, you know, لِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِكُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ For Allah is the East and the West. And so, um, why is uh, there no mention of North and South? Uh, there could be a couple of reasons for it. One is that it is a simple expression. You know, it's not really going into the longitude and latitude of things. You know, when, um, an exp when, it, when something needs to be used as an expression to encompass all space and just East and West is used. You know, left and right, we don't necessarily have to say up and down. When somebody says to the left and to the right, it means everywhere. Just because they didn't specifically mention up and down doesn't mean that in that figure of speech, up and down was excluded. So one reason could be expression. And linguistic expression is something that is most likely what it is because when we look at the actual geography of Jerusalem and also of Mecca, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ was in Medina, Jerusalem is more to the north of Medina and Mecca is more to the south. So... The Qur'an is talking about qiblas which are in a way more to the north and to the south but it is still using the expression of east and west. 
So this is an expression that was used in the language. Another reason could also be that most of human society is spread across the east and the west of the earth because that is where the most habitable areas are. Now in this day and age we have started to inhabit more of the extreme north and the south of the world because of the facilities that are available to us. But all of the places that were the centers of civilization and human society throughout history have always been pretty much around a very narrow band of um, latitude on the Earth's circumference. So um, that could also be a reason that the East and the West is more representative of human civilization as spread out across the globe. Any other questions? Okay, so we'll inshallah continue from here tomorrow. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim innaka hamidun majeed.